Welcome, everyone. Good morning. So glad you could join us. Uh, we have Pastor Sam and Lisa visiting us this week. Uh, and so P. Sam will give us our Devo this morning. Uh, and so P. Sam, our Devo goes first, and then our worship is a response to that. Do you, need a, do you want us to start with worship first? Do you need a little more time? Okay. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Most welcome, P. Sam. Hey, good morning. Yeah, uh, you know, halfway in the walk, my wife goes, why are we walking? <laughs> you, know, yeah. you know, happy wife, happy life. I, I did the opposite today. Hey, it's really good to be with you guys. Um, I just prepared a little something. Turn to Luke uh, chapter 18. Usually when I visit the uh, churches uh, during EMP, I like to, to say something about prayer, obviously. Uh, because this is, you know, primarily a prayer meeting. And so, um, uh, let's read verse 1 first, and then we're going to go and skip, and then we're going to go to verse uh, 9, okay? So verse 1 says, Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and, to, and not to lose heart. And then we'll skip to verse 9. And he also told this parable to certain ones who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax gatherer. The Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself, God, I thank thee that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax gatherer. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But a tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. I tell you, this man went down to the house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself should be humbled, but he who humbles himself shall be exalted. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you uh, this morning for waking us up, uh, for bringing us into uh, this house of prayer. Uh, uh, we... God, want to pray prayers this morning that reach you, Lord. Yeah, we don't want to pray prayers, God, that, that you don't answer. Lord, we want to pray prayers that you do answer. Lord, and seemingly, there seems to be a, um, a strategy here, God, a formula, if we can use that word, or that says that there's prayers, God, that, that you love and that, that you love to answer. And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us, God, uh, this morning. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, so he, he, he starts off and he says that he wanted to, Jesus wanted to encourage people uh, to pray. And, and the word he uses is not to lose heart. That, that, that should be very encouraging for all of us. Because if you've ever lost heart in prayer, Jesus anticipated that that would happen. In other words, that's going to happen. Okay, so let's just like, let's just get it into our minds early on that not all of your prayers are going to be answered. Uh, let, let's, let's just get into our mind that sometimes we'll get very frustrated with our prayer life. Anyone ever had a frustrating prayer life? Ever? Right? Okay, good. You know, I was going to say, you guys are all liars. And so, but it's true, I, every single one of us, we have been frustrated in our prayer life and that's part of the game, in essence, because we're dealing with something that's so supernatural. You know, there's only a few things on this earth that, that we actually have like a physical 
um, action has incredible spiritual dynamics. There, there's not a lot of those things, uh, but something we do in the physical that affects something so spiritual. And one of these things is prayer. There's something about prayer that, that, that has this effect. You know what another thing is? Right? Especially husbands and wives, it's sex. Right? There's a physical act that has so many spiritual ramifications. And so there's, there's, there's actually not a lot in the scriptures, but, but there's a few, like prayer and like sex. That's why if you're single and you're having sex, you're doing incredible damage to yourself. If you're married and you're having sex, you're, do, you're doing an incredible blessing to yourselves and to your marriage. And so, I'm not here to talk about sex, okay? Um, uh, so, but so, but it's this idea of prayer. There's a, a, something that happens in the natural that affects the spiritual. And there's a lot of spiritual warfare attached to that. So there's going to be frustration. So Jesus says he's going to tell these stories to people so they don't lose heart, which means you're going to lose heart. All right, so let that be kind of the first word of encouragement. If you are frustrated in prayer, you're probably on the right track. Really simple. You're probably on the right track. Like there's nothing wrong. And so then he goes into this Pharisee and the publican. Um, you look at this, this picture. Two people go to pray. They're both, they're both Jews, obviously. Okay, So they go to the same place at the same time, for the same purpose. They go to meet with God. They go to ask God something. But one guy, right, gets his prayers answered, and the other guy doesn't. And so this is like such a clear picture of what to do and what not to do. And so, so what the first guy, the what not to do, the Pharisee, he starts basically, and, and notice he goes up, um, uh, and he, uh, the Pharisee stood, and verse 11, the Pharisee stood and was praying thus to himself. That's the first mistake. You don't pray to yourself, right? You pray to God, okay? And so, so he was praying, okay, he wasn't praying to himself, but he was the object, he was the center of his prayers. It all wrapped around what he was thinking, what he was doing, what he was going to do, and he became the, the center of prayer, right? The center of our prayers has to be Jesus the Christ. It can't be anything else. It can't be your good deeds. It can't be your position. It, it, it can't be the blessings that you have in your life. The center of your prayer has to be Jesus. And so that's the first mistake he makes. He, he starts praying to himself. He, he starts speaking to himself and he starts comparing himself to others and he's looking down on other people uh, and he's lifting himself up this is this is a um, in a in a in a simple word I know this is a big like uh, uh, catchphrase in this day and age what we're talking about we're talking about entitlement he feels entitled hey look what I do I'm you know I serve on the worship team you know I do this I do that and uh, I, my, uh, my first uh, church experience, I mean, I'll be, I have to, I'm preaching, so I have to be honest. My first church experience actually was a Mormon church, believe it or not. All right? I was in the Boy Scouts, so I was part of a, I didn't never, I went to service once, but it was just a thing. But um, my, my experience was in a Korean church. And a Korean, a Korean church, I don't know if you ever, if you ever 
um, heard actually um, like religious Korean prayer, uh, Korean people praying, it's full of entitlement. You know, Lord, if my son gets into Harvard, I'm gonna do this for you, or I'm doing this for you. So please get my son into Harvard. You know, kind of thing. That's a very entitled prayer. Now, I only say Koreans because that's my first experience. I'm sure every culture does that. Okay, I'm sure every church does that as well, right? Like, it's, it's basically based on my merit. In other words, Lord, you owe me something for what I'm doing, right? You owe me something, right? Because look, this is what I'm doing. This is what I have done for you, God, right? This is what I'm going to do for you, God. And so as a result of that, you need to answer my prayer. That's basically the heart of the Pharisee. Right? Look, look at how righteous I am. I, 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 I'm, I'm a regular giver. Right? Lord, I give to you, so please come give to me. This is the entitled prayer. It's a prayer focused on himself. Now, the opposite of that, you have the, the publican or the tax collector. A publican meaning a, a, a very senior tax collector. And so uh, looked upon in society, especially Jewish society, as being very, very evil, and they were. You know, the Romans, they, 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 were, uh, they were kind of ingenious in the way they pacified people that they conquered. And the way that they, they, they did that was they actually took their own conquered people and they gave them positions of leadership. And in those positions of leadership, they just basically, like especially for tax collecting, they basically said, you know, we, we, just, we just want, you know, let's say, you know, uh, $10 a day from a person. That's what you owe Caesar. How you get it, how much you get, we don't care. And so it caused very scrupulous individuals to basically cheat their own people. And that's basically how the Romans, and so like you couldn't, I mean, you, get, you got mad at Rome, but you really got mad at these guys that were traitors. So that was his publican. So he's not a very good, good guy. So if he's part of this crew, and if he's a chief of this crew, right, you know that he's amassed a tremendous amount of wealth and he's ripped off his own people. So he comes, and you, and you, look, and you look at that, this guy has no merit whatsoever. Uh, you know what I mean? And so he comes and he says, and this is, this is what I've referred to over and over again. This is the most perfect prayer. You want to you wanna pray the perfect prayer? It's this prayer. He says here, um, this verse 13, The tax gatherer, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. What's the, the perfect prayer? Lord, have mercy on me. When in the New Testament, uh, and especially in the Old Testament, whenever you hear that word mercy or merciful or loving kindness or compassionate, it's, it stems from a, 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 actually a very particular word, particularly in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. In, in, um, in the New Testament, uh, eleo, uh, which which mercy, compassion, but but where that word derives from is actually an Old Testament concept, and it's 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 the chesed, it's uh, um, uh, it's the loving kindness of God, and and this and and this word is so packed, it's it's power packed actually, 
Because what it represents, it totally represents God's character. It, it's, it's, it's the covenant word that God used uh, for his relationship with his people. When, when the people of God looked at God, what they thought of was his loving kindness. Um, when the King James Version, when they were translating the Bible uh, uh, into, um, you know, from Latin into English, you know, the King James did that. When they were translating, uh, they, the scholars understood the power of this word. There actually was no English word that described what they wanted to say or what the Hebrew uh, a word represented. So they made a word up, you know, the word loving kindness. That's actually from the King James. It didn't come. It wasn't part of their English language, but they had they had a way to to put these two things together, in this way. I'll give you this tidbit. Um, if you think about Paul, the, the 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 great Pharisee himself, right? The the great Jewish scholar, Paul wanted to teach Gentiles about God's character. He wanted to teach non-Jews uh, Hesed. He wanted to teach them what God was like. So you know what he wrote? 1 Corinthians 13, love. That whole passage of love is really talking about God's loving kindness. Love is patient. Love is kind. Uh, easy way, you can just take out love and just put God. God is loving. God is kind. God is patient. It, it, it's, it's basically, it, uh, uh, most scholars believe that was... That was Paul's way. How do I, how do I teach non-Jews this incredibly powerful Jewish concept? And so he wrote 1 Corinthians 13, which if you, if you read it, it's totally out of sequence. Like, like it doesn't really belong in that space. It's, it's just, it just seems so different. But it represents uh, his, his, uh, 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 his character. And, and, and that, that's, that's what it's been like all through the time. And so let's, let's take one step back to what this Pharisee is talking about. If, if, you, go to, if you go to Exodus 32, I'm not going to go there, Exodus uh, uh, 32, 33, uh, 34, uh, God releases the Israelites uh, from Egypt, right? They get released and they come out with spoils. They come out with gold, jewelry, grain, all kinds of things. God says, I will not, I will not send you out empty-handed. And so they, they come with these spoils of, you know, 400 years of slavery, basically. They come into, uh, they're, they're kind of in the, the, uh, the precipice of getting into the promised land. Moses goes up, meets with God. God gives him the law. In other words, this is what's going to govern you in this new land, in this new season. You know, now you're out of slavery. And so, and, but what do they do? Do you remember? They, they take the gold, they take the very spoils, and a golden calf is erected. And do you remember what uh, Aaron says? Yeah, you know, God, you know, God, Moses, how can you do this thing? And, and I mean, who says there's no comedy in the Bible? He goes, I don't know. We just threw the golden and out came this calf. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, you know, God's saying, are you serious? Are you, are you really saying that? You know, that, that's what the Lord said. It's like, oh, no, we just took this gold and this calf came out. Like, it's not really our, our, our fault, our responsibility. Like, you know, gold must be cast, right? You, you know this. And so, uh, so the, I mean, Israel, probably the worst thing that Israel could do, you know, miracles, taken away from, I mean, freed from slavery, 
God gives them all these wonderful things, and then they erect a golden calf, and they said, this calf is what brought us out of Egypt. Can you believe that? And then next thing you know, right, the, the Lord is, is angry, Moses intercedes. It was, it was a show, okay? I'm telling you, it was a show. And then the, the, the point of revelation See, up until this guy, up until this time, God had never actually expressed his character. He said things like, I am. <laughs> I was like, what? Right? Who's, who's going to, I am. It doesn't make any sense. In other words, I'm the pre-existent one. And then finally, Israel is in the lowest point of their relationship with God. And God says, let me tell you who I am. I'm gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness, chesed, and truth. It, see, the timing is impeccable because you can see from, from you know, when, when God says, let there be light, and then he created Adam, right, and then Eve, and so on and so forth, he, God, you can imagine, God had been wanting to express his character, like, 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 who am I really? You know what I mean? Who, 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 who I mean, the essence of, you know, is God, the essence of God, who am I? And he waited for the lowest point of the history of Israel. That was their lowest point by far. And he says, let me tell you who I am. I'm the Lord God, Yahweh, and I'm gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth that was that's who he is and from that moment on right the the theology of, of chesed has been going all the way through it's 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 the core of god's character and so when you read the bible from the old testament and especially in the new testament and you'll notice that that when people say this perfect prayer they say something attached to that. Remember the, the blind man, right? And so on and so forth. They say, son of David, have mercy on me. They're going all the way back to the Old Testament, right? To the promises of the Old Testament. You know, that God who's gracious, loving, kind, all these things, compassionate. And, and what they're doing is they're praying not based on their merits. There's no sense of entitlement at all. In fact, they're saying, God, I don't even deserve this. All right, there, there's, there's nothing of this that I deserve, right? And it's, but by your mercy, in other words, by your character. You know, another way of saying it, they were saying, God, I know you can heal me. I know you want to heal me because that's your character. And so, Lord, here I am. So, Lord, have mercy on me totally devoid of, of, of themselves, and it's all based on God. But it's a prayer of faith. It's, it's like when, when you read that, have mercy on me, it's not a prayer like, oh, you know, I'm a worm, was me. No, they're going all the way back to the, to the Old Testament God. And they're saying that, that, that we know your character. We know who you're like, and we know you can do this thing. And so it's a prayer of faith. It, it's, it's, it's like uh, um, my kids, uh, 
you know, at, at home, uh, Lisa and I, Lisa is more of the stricter parent, okay? No, that's, that's moms, that they need to do that, okay? I'm the fun parent, you know? And so, not, no, not that she's not fun, right? I gotta correct myself here. Um, but but uh, you know what I mean, and stuff. So my kids inherently know that if they ask me, a very high chance that it's a yes. If they ask her, a very high chance it's going to be a no. So who do they ask? Me. It's just natural. A very simple illustration. In that same way, these, these guys are going to a God who wants to do something for them. They understand his character. They understand that he is a loving, gracious, patient, compassionate God that actually wants to answer the prayers of his people. The Lord have mercy on me is not a prayer devoid of faith. It's not like they're just leaving it up to fate. It's not. It's actually a very powerful prayer. And it says, Lord, because I know that you can. I know that, that you're willing and you want to. Now, I know there's spiritual warfare, but Lord, I'm coming to you. So Lord, have mercy on me. It is the perfect prayer. And you'll notice all through the New Testament, I, I, I challenge you, read through the New Testament. Look at every time someone comes to Jesus and says, Lord, have mercy on me. You know what the Lord does? He answers their prayer. Every single time, right? I mean, look, just read through the Bible. Every single time that someone prays that prayer, right, God answers it. Now, we're not animists. Okay, uh, you guys know what I mean by that? In other words, we don't say a phrase. There's, there isn't power in a phrase, okay? It's not, okay, oh, thank you, P-Sam, I, I got it now. I have to, I'm just going to pray, Lord, have mercy on me. And, it's, and it turns into some incantation, right? That's, that's basically animism. We, we don't walk in that because we, it, it can't just be words that we mouth. It's got to be words that flow from our hearts, we know that has nothing to do with me. It's this, this the Pharisee, right? Oh, look at me. I did all these. No, it has nothing. I, I, I don't deserve it. All right? There's nothing that I, can, I can't earn this at all. And all I can do is rely on the mercy, the goodness, the power of God to perform it. That's all. It's, it's, the, it's the perfect, perfect prayer. By the way, the New Testament equivalent right, of hesed in the Old Testament is what we simply call grace, right? It's basically what it is. It's something that you get that you don't deserve, that you cannot earn. It's just the goodness of God given over to us. Amen? So let's close our eyes. Is there something that you are really, really praying for? Maybe... Like in the beginning, in verse 1, and the Lord said to them, it says, He said these stories so they would not lose heart. Is there something in your life, in your prayer life, something that you've been seeking after that you're frustrated, that you're losing heart? If there is, then this story is for you. Appeal to the Lord, not based on your goodness, what you've done, what you're doing, or what you're going to do. 
or even what, or what you have not done. Lord, I've been done this, I've been done that. Let's get out of that spirit of entitlement that is so rampant in the church today. Let's appeal to God on His character. He is good, and His love endures forever. He is loving, He is gracious, compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in loving kindness and truth. Now let's appeal to the goodness of God. And as Brian leads us in a song, this morning, I just want to encourage you to go before the Lord. And whatever that thing is that's kind of pressing you, that you just surrender it to God. And say, Lord, I'm frustrated about this thing. But God, I'm appealing to who you are, not who I am.